So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Sometimes the darkest true crime tales are those that nobody has ever heard of. The case of Robert Leroy Anderson, a serial killer from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, is one of those tales. And sometimes you hear a murder story that really sticks in your mind. This is the sordid, gruesome tale of the duct tape killer. You're listening to Murder in America. Our story today starts in my home state of South Dakota. I grew up in a town called Sioux Falls, which happens to be the most populated city in South Dakota, even though less than 200,000 people live there. Obviously, South Dakota is a large state with a pretty small population. A lot of people seem to think that heinous crimes couldn't possibly happen around Sioux Falls, for it's a town that prides itself on being safe and wholesome. But in 1996, the people of South Dakota realized that monsters hide everywhere. About 20 miles outside of Sioux Falls, there's a town named Canastota. It's super rural, quiet, and has very little crime. And in the town of Canastota lies a 40-acre property where the Strail family lived back in 1996. Piper and Vance Strail, the couple that lived there, met at a Bible camp in Oregon when they were in their early 20s and instantly fell in love. After they got married, they wanted to find a place to settle down and start a family. So after plenty of searching, they made the choice to move to Canastota, South Dakota, where they eventually had a daughter, Shayna, and a son, Nathan. At the time of our story, in 1996, Shayna was three years old and Nathan was only two. And an important part of the Shrail family was that they were very religious and dedicated so much of their lives to God. Every July, they even hosted a summer Bible camp on their property for kids in the area. On July 26, 1996, at around 7.30 a.m., Piper and Vance were enjoying the morning with their two children when they were interrupted by a knock on their door. They weren't expecting anyone that morning, so Vance hesitantly opened the door. Standing on their porch was a balding man in his mid-twenties who had driven to their property in a black Bronco. And this man looked very perplexed when Vance opened the door. When Vance later described this encounter, he said that when he opened the door, he could tell that the man didn't really know what to say, like he was almost caught off guard by Vance being there. And after a few awkward seconds, the man told Vance that he had driven by their property a few times and was interested in enrolling his children in their Bible camp. Piper handed him a pen and paper, and he wrote down the name Rob Anderson. Three days later, on July 29th, 1996, the Strail family was having a morning like any other. 
Vance had left a little earlier that day to get to work, and Piper was home getting ready to take her kids to the babysitter's house before she headed off to work. But the kids never made it to the babysitter's house, and Piper never made it to work. A concerned coworker decided to call the Strails residence around 3 p.m. that day to see why Piper didn't make it in. But when she called the Strails phone, Piper wasn't the one to answer. On the other end of the line was the panicked voice of Piper's three-year-old daughter, Shayna. What Shayna said to the coworker was chilling. Apparently, one of the first things that came out of Shayna's mouth was the sentence, I don't want mommy to die. Hearing this was clearly alarming for Piper's coworker, so she called the police and stayed on the phone with Shayna for nearly an hour until the police arrived at the Strails' home. When the police pulled up to the residence, they immediately knew that something horrible had happened. The front door of the house was ajar, and as they stepped inside, it was clear that a violent struggle had taken place. The home was in disarray, and the contents of Piper's purse were strewn about on the floor. As detectives made their way through the house, they found three-year-old Shayna and two-year-old Nathan. They were both unharmed, but Shayna was hysterically crying. Authorities swiftly searched the rest of the house, but Piper was nowhere to be found, and it was apparent that the children had been by themselves for hours. And something that really broke my heart about this story is that the day before Piper's abduction was actually Nathan, her son's second birthday. And even though he was probably too young to remember this incident, his birthday will always have this horrible memory attached to it. And investigators knew that they needed to get any information from Shayna that they could. But three-year-olds aren't always the best witnesses, and they had to be very patient with her. Not only because she was so young, but she had also gone through something very traumatic that morning. When they asked Shayna about what happened, she simply told them that a mean man came into their home and took her mommy. Apparently, when this man had entered the Strail home, Shayna's mom had told her and Nathan to go into another room and hide. She said that there was a lot of yelling from her mother and then a gunshot. Shayna told the police that the man was driving a black car and that as he left the house, he took a blue tent that Nathan had gotten for his birthday that day. And this is just a side note, but I was so surprised that Shayna was able to give investigators such a detailed description of what happened that morning. And it's these exact details that will help investigators solve the case later on in our story. When Vance Strail comes home, he is clearly devastated over what has happened. And while he is consoling Shayna, he himself is having to hold back tears as she's saying, I don't want mommy to die, and she isn't coming back. I think these statements from Shayna show just how terrifying that morning was for the entire family. The abduction was so violent that Shayna was fully confident that her mom wasn't going to come home. Authorities started canvassing the neighborhood to see if anyone saw anything suspicious that morning. Several witnesses said that they noticed a black vehicle on the Strail property. One witness even said that they saw a man in jeans and a baseball cap leaving the Strail home and getting into a black Bronco, which seemed to point right back to a certain mysterious visitor that the family had encountered just a few days earlier. At this point, investigators turned to Vance for help in the case. And in that very moment, he remembers the strange man who had come to their home just three days earlier. He started giving investigators a description of the man, trying to think of every single detail of the encounter. When suddenly, he remembers that the mystery man had written his name down on a piece of paper. Vance searched everywhere for the piece of paper. He was positive that he said it right there in the place that he remembered seeing it. But... The piece of paper with the name was nowhere to be found. All that Vance could remember was that the man said his name was Rob Anderson and that he drove a black Bronco. 
the same car witnesses saw at the Strail residence that morning that Piper was abducted. Police were positive that the man who abducted Piper was the same man who had visited the Strail residence three days earlier. They quickly identified him as a 26-year-old resident of Sioux Falls, Robert Leroy Anderson. Robert worked the night shift at the John Morrell Meatpacking Company about 40 minutes from the Strail home in the heart of Sioux Falls. After finding this information, investigators brought him into the station where they would go on to interrogate Robert for seven hours. They also noticed that Anderson drove a Bronco to the police station, but this Bronco was blue. Despite the inconsistency in color, police got a warrant to search his vehicle while he was being interrogated and what they found inside was chilling. Inside of Anderson's Bronco, underneath the carpet was this piece of plywood with holes in it. Investigators knew exactly what they were looking at when they saw it. It was made specifically to restrain someone's wrists and ankles. They also found chains, black paint, and a roll of duct tape. Back at Anderson's home, they found jeans stained with blood and semen, which, interestingly enough, later came back as inconclusive, a pair of handcuff keys, and they even talked to one of Anderson's neighbors who said that they saw him extensively cleaning his Bronco on the morning Piper was abducted. During Anderson's interrogation, they presented him with all of the evidence being used against him. The items found in his vehicle, the blood and semen stained jeans, the handcuff keys, and the eyewitnesses that saw him there the day of the abduction, and Vance's account of him coming to their home a few days prior. At this point, Anderson knew he was in big trouble, but he adamantly denied abducting Piper. However, he did admit to going to the Strails' property earlier that week. I mean, he couldn't deny going there. Vance saw him, talked to him, and he even wrote his information down, so I feel like he knew he couldn't get out of that one. After investigators pressed him for more information, he even admitted to going to the property the morning that Piper was abducted. His explanation for being there that morning was because he wanted to use the family's archery range, which I don't know why he thought that that would be a good cover-up. He admitted that he knocked on their front door, but no one answered, so he just left. So Anderson is placing himself at the crime scene around the time that Piper was abducted, and it's obviously not looking good for him. And in this interrogation, investigators really wanted to get to know Anderson, so they even talked to him about his sexual preferences. And during this portion of the questioning, he revealed to investigators that he was into anal sex and that his wife wasn't at all. They talked about his family and his childhood upbringing, and they even brought up a woman who had gone missing two years prior, named Larissa Demansky. Larissa was a 29-year-old immigrant from Ukraine who worked at the same meatpacking company as Anderson. One late night in August, she had disappeared from the company's parking lot and was never seen again. Anderson denied having any connection to the disappearance of Larissa, but investigators knew that they had a monster on their hands. Two young women had gone missing after an encounter with Anderson, and neither of them were anywhere to be seen. Police knew that they had to arrest him before he could hurt anybody else. With all of the evidence against him, police were confident that they had the right guy. And the last thing that they needed for an arrest was for Vance and Shayna to identify him. So they got a photo lineup of men together and placed Robert Anderson's picture amongst the innocent men. Vance quickly identified Anderson as the man who came to their house early that July morning. Next, Shayna came in and identified him as the mean man that took her mommy. And with this, police finally had enough to arrest Robert. But there was one caveat. Although everyone knew that Piper had likely been killed, there just wasn't enough evidence to charge Anderson with murder because they still hadn't found Piper's body. And it's very difficult to convict someone with murder when they haven't found a body. 
but investigators did have enough evidence that Anderson had kidnapped her. So on August 2nd, 1996, they arrested Robert Leroy Anderson for the kidnapping of Piper Strail. Kidnapping charges aren't nearly as severe as murder charges, and investigators knew that if Anderson was ever let out of prison, he would kill again. So they were desperate to find Piper's body. Hundreds of people in the community gathered together and conducted search parties to see if they could find her, but they didn't have any luck. However, investigators were able to get one promising lead. They got a call from a man about 40 minutes away from where the Strail family lived, in a small town named Baltic. This man said that on the day Piper was abducted, he was driving on a road in Baltic and noticed a shirt on the side of the road. He stopped to take a look and noticed that the shirt was torn in half and was printed with the text Code Zero. And for whatever reason, maybe it was intuition, the man decided to keep the shirt. It sat in the back of his car for months, and when he heard about Piper on the news, he decided to bring the shirt to police. Vance later confirmed that this was the shirt that Piper was wearing the day she was abducted. With this information, investigators were positive that Piper's body would be close to where the shirt was found. A local Sioux Falls botanist named Gary Larson was also able to provide some information that would help bring investigators closer to the location of where Piper's body could be found. They had found plant matter in one of Anderson's toolboxes that was identified as honewort and black snake root. These plants aren't that common and they're known to grow along the Sioux Falls River. Given this information, investigators were positive that they would be able to find Piper's body there. But as police searched the wooded areas along the river, they came across some other evidence. Lying under a tree was the other half of Piper's shirt. And on that same tree, hanging from a branch, were several wads of duct tape, matted with human hair, very similar to Piper's. A little ways away, they found a large dildo and a half-burned candle but unfortunately, they were never able to find her body. And I want to go over some of the evidence they did find. Remember that roll of duct tape that they found in Anderson's car during the initial search of his Bronco? Well, the tear on the duct tape found in his Bronco perfectly matched the tear on one of the pieces found hanging from the tree. They also found a knife in Robert's truck that had cloth fibers matching Piper's Code Zero shirt. Based on the evidence we have presented so far, we're now gonna run you through what investigators think happened on Piper's last few days. Investigators concluded that Anderson spotted Piper one day. They aren't exactly sure how or where though. Maybe he saw her at a local grocery store in town, or maybe he was driving by their property and saw her in the front yard. We just don't know. We do know that the belief is that he spotted her and like a predator with its prey, he decided then and there that he was going to kill her. So, Robert went back home and started gathering supplies for his hunt. He bought duct tape, black paint, a dildo, and candle wax. Before he left, he painted his car black so that if anybody saw him, they couldn't link the vehicle back to him since his car was blue. And just before he left that morning, Robert grabbed his gun. One thing that Anderson didn't expect was that he went to the Strail residence, Vance opened the door instead of Piper. Remember how Vance told authorities that when he opened the door, Anderson looked really confused and didn't know what to say? Well, that's because his entire plan had been ruined by Vance being home that morning. So he decided to make up an excuse and come back in a few days when he was sure Piper would be home alone. The next thing that investigators think happened was that on the morning Piper was abducted, Anderson stalked the Strail house. He sat on the prowl waiting for his threat, Vance, to leave before he went for the kill. As soon as Vance left for work that morning, he knew that it was time. So he drove up the long driveway and knocked on the door with his hand on the gun in his pocket. 
and as soon as Piper opens the door, Robert pulls out the gun and forces his way inside. It is right in the entryway where a violent struggle ensues, and Piper put up a good fight, breaking many household items along the way, trying to get away from the monster in her home. And at some point, her two children witness what's happening, and Piper tells them to go run and hide. Somewhere in this interaction, Anderson's gun goes off, and he is able to force Piper inside of his Bronco. They don't think that Robert actually shot Piper because there wasn't any blood at the scene, but detectives did believe that Robert may have shot his gun to scare Piper so that she would comply and get into his car. It is believed that Robert then restrained Piper by handcuffing her ankles and wrists to the wooden piece of plywood in his car, which was made specifically to trap his victims. He then wadded up several pieces of duct tape and shoved them into her mouth so neighbors couldn't hear her screams. Robert then went back inside the Strail residence to retrieve the piece of paper that he wrote his information on a few days prior to the abduction because he knew that it would be incriminating. Following the abduction, Robert then drove the 40-minute drive to Baltic with Piper in his back seat. When they got to a secluded place, he cut open her shirt with a knife, raped her, and assaulted her with candle wax and a dildo. After the horrific sexual assault, Robert strangled Piper, disposed of the evidence, and dumped her body in an undisclosed location, where it still hasn't been found to this day. He then drove home, washed the black paint off of his car, thoroughly cleaned its interior, and went to bed peacefully that night, as if he hadn't just taken a mother away from her children, right in front of their eyes, and had proceeded to brutally kill her. Because investigators were never able to locate Piper's body, they had to move forward with the kidnapping charges. And on May 8, 1997, Robert Leroy Anderson was convicted of kidnapping Piper Strail and sentenced to life. Anderson did not take this sentencing lightly and even told the judge, I hope you rot in hell. To which the judge retorted, I might, but it won't be because I convicted Robert Anderson. And although Robert is now in prison, our story does not end here. There will be many people that come forward and shed some light on the other atrocities linked to Robert Anderson throughout his life in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. One such man would be Jamie Hammer, a longtime friend of Anderson. The two used to get into a lot of trouble in their younger years, and through this delinquency, they really got to know one another. Hammer told investigators that he, Robert, and another friend named Glenn Walker used to talk about how they could abduct a woman and never get caught. In this plan, the men would lay out spike strips on a random road with little traffic, and then they would wait and wait until a car came over and drove over the spikes, popping their tires. They knew that this helpless victim would have to pull over eventually to check their tires, and when they did, that's when they would strike. And the scariest part about this plan is that anyone who was unfortunate enough to be driving down that quiet road would become their victim. It wasn't like they had them picked out or that they fit a particular profile. Anyone and everyone was fair game to these monsters. And the three talked about this plan so frequently over the years that one night they decided to actually follow through with it. On a cold November night in 1994, just two years before Anderson had killed Piper, the three men laid out the spikes on an isolated country road and waited patiently for their victim. The unfortunate woman that happened to drive down this desolate road was Amy Anderson. She was on her way home from her friend's house when her tires popped. She pulled off to the side of the road, got out of her car, and before she even knew what was happening, Anderson, Hammer, and Walker ambushed her. They grabbed her and made their way towards the cold, dark woods. 
I can only imagine the terror that she felt, watching these men drag her towards the dense, pitch-black forest. Amy knew that if she didn't escape, this stretch of woods would become her tomb. So she fought, and she fought hard. She was eventually able to escape their grip and took off running frantically through the trees back towards the road. Luckily for Amy, she saw headlights heading towards her and was able to flag them down and get help. She immediately went to the authorities, but they weren't able to trace this crime back to Anderson. So the case at the time went cold. That is, until Piper's story hit the media. When Amy heard what happened to Piper, the story sounded all too familiar. Law enforcement put Anderson in a lineup and Amy was actually able to identify her attacker. Sadly though, Robert never stood trial for Amy's attempted kidnapping because he was already in jail for Piper's. And I think Jamie Hammer got some kind of immunity for coming forward with this story because the only man that was convicted for Amy's attempted kidnapping was Glenn Walker when he pled guilty during the trial. And Glenn Walker would become a very important witness for our story because what he later revealed would shake the Sioux Falls community. Glenn Walker tells authorities that Amy's attempted kidnapping wasn't the first time the two committed a crime together. Their crimes linked all the way back to 1991 when they committed their first murder. Now, remember back when authorities were questioning Anderson about Piper's kidnapping and they brought up the disappearance of another local woman that Anderson worked with? Well, her name was Larissa Demansky. She was a beautiful young woman, only 29 years old, and she and her husband Bill were actually immigrants from Ukraine. The two were extremely excited to move to the United States and start a new life. So when the couple both got hired at John Morrell's meatpacking company in Sioux Falls, they were very excited. Now, Bill ended up finding another job at a different company in town, but Larissa stayed and worked the night shift. The same shift that maintenance man Robert Anderson worked. And like we've seen with Anderson's other victims, he almost started to stalk Larissa immediately. He got to know her, he figured out her schedule, which road she took home, and after he felt like he was familiar with her routine, he and his friend Walker decided that it was time to kill her. So like they did with Amy, the two put spike strips on the road that Larissa took to get home, but their plan didn't work. After Larissa's tires popped, she kept driving until she reached a more populated spot in town. The two didn't abduct her because they knew that somebody would see them. They gave up on the abduction that night and waited until the night of August 26th to execute a new plan. After Larissa's shift was over that night, Anderson approached her in the meat company's parking lot. When Larissa looked at Anderson, she noticed that he was holding a knife and he quickly forced the blade against her skin and forced her to get inside of his car. It was then that Anderson and Walker drove Larissa to Lake Vermilion, which was 40 minutes away. And one thing that I thought about while researching this is that that 40 minute drive must have felt like an eternity to her. When they arrived at the lake, Larissa began pleading for her life, but the desperate pleas meant nothing to Anderson. He continuously raped her throughout the night, and when he was finished using her, he suffocated her with duct tape until she was dead and buried her lifeless body under a choke cherry bush. These gruesome details were revealed during Walker's trial, where he admitted to being responsible for Larissa's kidnapping, but was adamant that Anderson acted alone in the rape and murder. He also told investigators that he would lead them directly to where her body was buried. And on May 20th, 1997, Walker did just that. That day, Walker took investigators out to Lake Vermilion and showed them the chokecherry bush that Larissa was buried under and they started digging. And during excavation, they found some bullets, a pair of women's shoes, clothes, jewelry, a belt. And soon enough, they found Larissa's body, along with the body of a six-week-old baby. 
Larissa had been pregnant at the time of her murder, and something that investigators immediately discovered upon finding her body was that a lot of her bones were missing. Her burial site was neatly concealed in the ground, so it was obvious that animals hadn't disturbed it. So, where did these missing bones go? Investigators would later discover where these bones went when they got a call from Jeremy Brunner, Anderson's cellmate. He told them that in the first week of sharing a cell with Anderson, he gave a lot of information about his gruesome crimes. He told Brunner that the reason Larissa's bones were missing was because he was scared Walker would tell authorities where her body was. So he drove to the location, dug her up, and took away certain bones that could prove her identity, like her skull and her teeth. Anderson also boasted about the abduction, rape, and murder of Piper Strail. He told Brunner that he abducted her from her home, repeatedly raped her, and then strangled her before dumping her body in the Sioux Falls River. Lastly, Robert revealed that he wanted his friend Glenn Walker dead for snitching on him, so he asked if Brunner could murder him when he got released from prison. Anderson even drew up two maps, one to Walker's house and one to his own grandma's house. And chillingly, that day Robert told Brunner that if you look in the walls of my grandma's basement, you can find a gun along with the trophies I kept from my victims. Use the gun to kill Walker. So, Brunner agreed, knowing that he would immediately go to investigators with what he had been told. Police were so excited to receive this information, because with Brunner's testimony, along with Hammers and Walker's, they could finally move forward with a murder charge against Robert. And on April 6, 1999, after a month-long trial, a jury finally convicted Robert Leroy Anderson for the rape and murder of Piper Strail and the kidnapping and murder of Larissa Dumanski. Three days later, they sentenced him to death by lethal injection. Anderson attempted to appeal his death sentence in 2002. He apparently wasn't a fan of the prison life. On March 30th, 2002, prison officials even found him with a razor blade and had to put him in an isolation cell because they thought that he was going to use this razor blade to commit suicide. When they returned to check on Robert in his cell a little while later, they found him hanging from his bedsheet, dead. It isn't clear exactly why Anderson killed himself. He never left a note or told anyone of his plan to end his life. His father committed suicide three months before he did. So maybe he was feeling the heavy guilt of disappointing his family. Or maybe he knew that his appeal would get denied. But it's not likely that he killed himself because he felt ashamed of his crimes. Monsters usually don't feel empathy for their victims. When Piper's husband Vance was asked how he felt about Anderson's suicide, he said, This is what we were after anyways. It just saved us some time and effort. Now, something interesting that I'd like to add in here is that people in Sioux Falls consider the penitentiary, the place where Anderson was held and where he ultimately took his own life, is considered to be haunted. I have a vivid memory of going on a ghost tour in my hometown. We uh, hopped on the trolley and it took us to some of the most haunted places in Sioux Falls. And we actually stopped on top of the hill where the penitentiary sits and heard the story of a prison guard who supposedly saw a floating head in one of the cells. If you can imagine, this is a very eerie building sitting on top of the highest point in Sioux Falls. This is the place where the murderers in the state are sent to, where the executions are carried out. This is a historic building that's seen thousands of people pass through its halls and obviously a number of deaths and suicides. I can never see myself getting an opportunity to investigate the building because it's an active prison, but 
when you have ex-prison guards and officials and people that work there coming out and saying that they experience these strange paranormal things while working shifts inside of the building, it's hard to ignore them. And I can only sit here and imagine to almost theorize that of all the souls that may haunt the halls of the penitentiary, Robert Leroy Anderson is probably one of them. He is a killer. He's a guy who lived with bad energy surrounding him. He put out bad energy into this world and he ended his life with sort of this bad energy by hanging himself in the prison. I'm sure that Robert took a lot of answers to his grave with him and obviously he took the answer of where Piper's body is. Maybe one day he'll come back and, and speak some words, letting us know the answers to these questions that he left us with with his death. One thing we do know for sure is that after Robert was convicted and ultimately took his own life, the women of Sioux Falls felt like they could finally sleep better at night, knowing that this monster was no longer among them, hunting for his next victim. But still, there's a missing part of this story that has no resolution. What happened to Piper's trail? Where did her body ultimately end up? Was it consumed by animals? Did it float far down the river? Or did Robert actually end up burying it like he did Larissa's body, possibly this time somewhere around the Sioux Falls area? Being a former Sioux Falls resident, this is a chilling concept. The thought that somewhere buried under feet of freezing icy snow could potentially lie the missing body of a murder victim who was stolen from her home and her family and never returned to normal life. In fact, she was forced that day into an early grave. Maybe one day they'll find Piper, but until then, the mystery of what happened to her body will still continue to haunt Sioux Falls, South Dakota, like a ghostly whisper on a chilly winter's day. After hearing this story, the blizzards and the hazard weather that plague Sioux Falls during the winter months take on almost an ominous feeling. It's almost like you can hear Piper speaking to you if you sit outside at night during a winter storm in the area. The snow falls and it's silent but it says everything. When the wind comes, it chills your bones, it chills you to the core. And when you hear it, it's like she's trying to tell us where to look, but is still unable to find her voice. I don't know, will we ever find Piper's body? That's a mystery that it seems like Sioux Falls, South Dakota just may never solve. And that's it for our episode today. Thank you all for listening to episode three of Murder in America. Yeah, guys, this is obviously a special episode because this story comes from Sioux Falls where I was born and raised. And I honestly didn't know the details of this case until we sat down to research them for this episode. And wow, it's pretty disturbing. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I think this is one of our favorite episodes we've done so far. Well, we've only love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. On three, so that's <laughs> not, it's not very hard still. to have a favorite. But I got to tell you guys, the next episode of the show, we are covering a murder from South Dakota that just totally outdoes this Anderson story in brutality and 
absolute depravity and I'm genuinely excited to tell it because man this one not only sends chills down your spine but it really disturbed me to my core when I first heard it <laughs> thank you guys once again it's Colin here we uh we love you guys that are listening online if you would like we're we already uploaded some stuff to the Patreon I just went and recorded some murder stories on location today across Texas so those are going to be on there tomorrow uh, when this episode's out and yeah, that's about it. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram. Courtney, you got anything left to say? No, I think that's it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And Colin, don't you have a question? Yeah, this is to all of you guys online. Let's say that Piper's body is never found. Let's say that her family never has those answers. Don't you wish that she could come back from the grave and just let us know where her body lies to this day? Obviously, it's somewhere. But where? And that really begs the question. The dead don't talk. Or do they? Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good night. Sweet dreams. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.